We've been in Ephesians 5. As you guys know, we've been going through this, this book of Ephesians called Family Declaration. Um, and so it's been, a, a, for those who are watching online, it's been an interesting morning to say the least, but I'm glad you guys are watching and you're here with us. Um, I need a prayer for me right now. I'm really trying to preach right now out of a really rough place. And this is just me being transparent. Maybe I should do this, maybe I shouldn't do this as a pastor, but it's been like everything that has gone wrong, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong this morning. Um, and it's just been like impacting me. And so I'm trying to preach out of this place of like just digging. And so I'm just gonna pray. I'm just gonna pray because I don't wanna be in the way and I don't want my emotions and feelings to be in the way. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you guys can come up, yeah, yeah, come, I mean, you can come up on stage, I don't, I'm just gonna pray. And so, uh, for those who are online, I know this is like, this is very, very different, and it is. Um, Father, we just thank you this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, I need to get out the way, because there's a, there's so much going against what's trying to happen this morning. And it's just been a weight. It's just been a weight. And so, Holy Spirit, I need you to break through. I need you to, I need to hear your voice. And I need you to use me to preach your word. Because, God, I'm, you know I'm preaching out of a deficit today. But I just believe in you. And I believe in the word that you have for our church today. So, fill me up. Let the words that come out come from a place of, of your spirit, a place of holiness, truth. And we know you're going to do something great in this church. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Thank you guys for doing that. Um, uh, we're starting in Ephesians 5. Uh, it says, and we've been just going through the book of Ephesians. And, you know, I know, uh, and this has been mainly for the church. And, and Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. But as we start in Ephesians 5, uh, Paul starts off this chapter really interesting. You know, he's talking about instructions for Christian living, and that's where we've been kind of dwelling, because what you believe will determine how you behave in every respect, in every which way. What you believe will determine how you behave. And so, like, what you believe of the Bible will determine you, how your behavior and how you walk out your, this Christian life and how you live this Christian life. And so um, you, there are three things about God that I know to be true and that are unchanging at all times. These three things, God is love, God is light, and God is spirit. Always. He is, he, th those are not attributes that he has, that's who he is. Um, and so as Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus, he starts off chapter five very interesting. He says, because there's kind of, there's no break. And so he just kind of jumps in and he says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love as Christ gave, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He starts off by saying, follow God's example. Follow God's example. The word follow comes from the Greek word 
uh, Mimetes is M-I-M-E-T-E-S, if you want to write that down, M-I-M-E-T-E-S, which means to imitate. When you're following someone, it means to imitate, in which we get the word, right? M-I-M-E-T-E-S, Mimetes, in which we get the word mime or mimic, right? So he's saying, hey, mimic and follow God as, as an example. He's saying, imitate God, imitate him. Follow everything that he does. To mimic someone means to copy in action or in speech. You ever have someone mimic you in a, in a very sarcastic way? And they go, and they make you sound worse than you really are, right? Um, if, you got, if you guys have children or if you have very close friends, you know what that's like. They mimic you. Right? And so Paul is saying, follow, God, follow God's example. Mimic God. Mimic God. Paul connects this. What I, what I love is that he connects the word mimic. He connects this word mimic to as dearly loved children. Follow God's example as dearly loved children. Why does he put it that way? Because if you've ever been around or worked with children or had younger brothers and sisters, or whatever, they watch everything you do, right? If you have younger brother, younger sisters, they watch everything you do. And so he says, as dearly loved children, you need to echo and mimic everything you see God do. Everything you know in this word, everything you've seen. Paul says in another verse, he says, mimic me as I mimic Christ, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says, mimic or imitate me as dearly loved children. In order for, I have kids and they mimic everything Tasha and I say or do. And some are great and some are like, oh, not so great. <laughs> some are great and like there are, you know, there are times when we'll say something and then we'll hear Ava or Izzy say something and it's just like, oh, shouldn't have said that around them. They learn so much from watching their parents. We've learned so much from watching our parents. There are some quirks and habits that we have that we learned from our parents. Like there are things that my dad did that he never spoke, but I witnessed him do it. There are some things my mom said that I was like, I'll never, hear, I'll never say that. And then I find myself saying it as a parent. Because I'm around, I spent time with them. I'm around them. So I, I started to imitate and mimic them. Sometimes not intentionally. A lot of it was subconsciously. It's just like, oh, I, like I didn't ever see myself saying or doing that. And I find in this sentence is very interesting because Paul says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And I find that the reason why some of us can't mimic Christ is because we don't spend time with him. You can't mimic someone that you're not around. You can't mimic their behavior. Some of us, the reason why we find areas in our life where you're like, oh, that's not so Christ-like of me, is because we are not mimicking him. The only, the only way I could mimic my parents, the only way that would happen is because I was around them, whether I wanted to be around them or not, but their presence and their example, I was around them. 
If you, the reason why some of our behaviors don't imitate Christ is because we don't spend time in our word. We don't spend time in prayer. We don't say, Holy Spirit, search me and know me. What are the weak areas in my life? And so therefore, how can we mimic a father that we don't spend time with? How can we imitate Christ if we're not spending time with him? How can we do that? But by spending time in his presence and in his spirit and saying, Father, I need you. I need to mimic you. And, and, and I know sometimes we may not see him in the physical, but that's why we have godly men and women in our lives who can mentor us and shepherd us and we can follow their example. Like I said, Paul said in scripture, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's like, I'm mimicking Christ, so therefore mimic me. The reason why some of us aren't mimicking healthy, godly behaviors is because of the people we spend time around. Whoever you spend time around, that's who you end up mimicking. If your parents, some of our parents didn't have good behaviors, and so therefore when we get older, we sometimes mimic those poor behaviors, whether knowingly or unknowingly. But all that shows is that it's time spent. You want to look more like Christ? You want your life to change? Spend time with your father. You'll start to look like him and mimic him. You'll start to know what he sounds like and what he doesn't sound like. You'll be able to discern words and say, mm, mm -mm, my father doesn't speak that way. Oh, no, 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 that's not the will for my life. I, I know what my father's like. Because there's so many words out there. There's so many people preaching from, from different places that, that some of it sounds good, but then you're like, wait a second. But Paul says, mimic God, imitate him. Copy him in action and in speech. What would the world look like if, if a lot more Christians started to spend time with dad, with, with, with God, and we, we were to sit down and say, God, I just want to mimic you. I just want to imitate you. Do I need to show peace better? Do I need to love better? Do I need to show joy better? A pastor whom I, whom I knew a long time ago, um, when he was, on, he was on his deathbed in the hospital, and he was passing away, and as he was passing away, he was laying on his bed, and there were other pastors around him, and he just started to pray and worship God. As he's on his deathbed, he begins to pray and worship God and thank God for all that he's done as he's on his deathbed. See, you could only do that when you're spending enough time with the Father. You could only mimic God and thank God when you're spending enough time with him because that's what he was doing on his way out and then he closed his eyes and passed away. Because what's so interesting is, is that in Scripture, what is Jesus doing as he's on the cross? He's thanking the Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. I thank you. Matthew 18, 3 says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes a lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible isn't saying to be childish, it's saying to be childlike. He says it right there in Matthew 18. 
Whoever becomes like a little, you have to become like a little child to, be, to, be, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because what do children do? They mimic the father. I'm not, sh- I'm not saying to be childish. That's not what I'm saying, right? The Bible says to put away all the old things, put away the child things, and, and grow up and mature. I'm not saying that. But what, what Jesus was saying is like, you want to enter the kingdom? Learn how to mimic the father. Learn how to imitate the father. In that, you will become childlike. I have, like my daughters, they're so molded by what I say and what I do that sometimes I look at that and how they respond to things. I'm like, man, I responded that way. I did that. It says, verse 2, let's go to verse 2. It says, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We know the word walk is, is, is equivalent to the lifestyle. He says, live a lifestyle of love. In those times, the high priest would enter the holies of holies to offer their yearly sacrifice. Every year, at the end of the year, they'd enter the holy of holies and, and, and offer their sacrifice, and they'd say, and when they'd walk in, they'd throw incense on the coals. And that never made sense to me. They'd throw a handful of incense on the hot coals and a fragrance would fill the room because they're about to slaughter an animal. If any, has anyone ever been like deer hunting? No, yes, maybe, right? You see when they, that taxidermist cuts that animal up, it, it smells terrible. It's probably one of the worst smelling things you've ever smelled in your life besides a diaper. And of course, and, and so I, I remember I'm thinking about that and I was praying on that. And so they would have to, at the, in the holies of holies, what they would do is, you, I don't know if you guys would know this, but they would have a lamb and they'd bring it inside, a lamb without blemish. And the lamb would now take on the sin of all of the tribe. It would take on all the sin of the tribe for the year. And so what they would do is then they would slay that lamb and that lamb would be a representation of the blood covering their sin that they've committed in that year. So they put on the fire, on the coals, this fragrant aroma. And I started to look at the parallels in scripture is that Jesus would take on the sin of all of man, right? Because we know that when an animal is slain, there's a certain smell to it. So Jesus would take on the sin of all of man and be crucified as a fragrant aroma for all of heaven. Jesus' death is the only death that would bring about the aroma of life in heaven. All these sacrificial animals, they would, they, would, they, would, they would be sacrificed and it would be like, okay, this is a sweet smelling, smelling aroma for a little bit, but the death of Jesus, him taking on all the sin of man, would now become the aroma of life in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 2.15 it says, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Why are we the pleasing aroma of Christ? Is because his blood washed us clean and the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. So in us is the aroma of life, not on our own, but through the Holy Spirit. Our lives are, are now a fragrant offering to Christ. 
not on our own strength. It is because of Jesus, because of his death and sacrifice, did we receive the Holy Spirit. And now we have life coming out of us. It says, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or, or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be a obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And so now Paul is going, he goes from this place of like, hey, as children imitate Christ, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And then he's going to this thing of like, hey, let me tell you what love is. And he starts off by saying what love is not. We know, I hope we know, that there's a difference between love and lust. There's a difference. I can go into love all day. I mean, we, there's many a sermon preached on the love of God. You, and, and here's the thing, you cannot define love without God. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot define love without God. Why? Because in John, in John it says God is love. He is love. He's not, it's, not a, it's not like a facet of him. It's not like he has to force himself to love. He doesn't have to put himself and be like, all right, I guess I'm going to love this church today. Or I guess I'm going to love these people. No, no, no. That's who he is. God is love. There is no definition of love without God. If you are in God, you are a reflection of that love. You are. As long as you're in Christ Jesus, you reflect that love. Therefore, whatever comes out of us should be love. We're not called to just love in speech, but we're called to love in deed. We're called to love in action. We're called to love in truth. We're not going to compromise what love is to love in a different way. We're called to love in deed and in truth. Now, what lust is, lust is a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. That's what lust is. That's what lust is defined as, is a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. I think so many times when we hear the word lust, we, we, we hear, oh, it's a lust for sex. No, you can lust for power. You can lust for materials. You can lust for status. You can lust for recognition. The father of lust is Lucifer. God is love. The power of lust is Lucifer. The desire for lust is Lucifer. You want to know why? He was the one who lusted for power. In Ezekiel 28, when he was in the heavenlies, God created him. No, created him. Listen, God, I saw... 
I saw this weird video last night that was talking about Mormons and, you know, they believe that Lucifer and Jesus are brothers. And it's weird. It's like the most strangest thing. It's crazy. And they believe like they're the God's oldest, oldest sons. And they can't be because God created Lucifer. Jesus was born. You can't be related that way. Anyways, that's a whole other thing for another day. God is love. In him, there is no hate at all. In him, there is no darkness at all. Anytime we decide to operate in lust, we're operating in our flesh. We're operating in Adam's mistake. When we decide to operate in love because God is love, now we are operating in God's intended original plan for human beings. Love gives. Love gives. Lust takes. Love sacrifices. Love sacrifices. Lust sacrifices others. Love purifies. Lust degrades. Love satisfies. Lust leaves emptiness. Well, what does it look like for us to love like God loves? There's so many people where we lust after so many things, whether, whether it be a, a status or recognition, a paycheck, um, um, sex, partner. Like we lust after so many things. And we serve a God who, who's just saying, if you just love me, right? If you just put me first, I will bring you everything you need. You don't need to chase it. You don't need to put all your focus on it. You don't need to lust after it. If you love me and put me first, right? It says, what does it say? Seek ye first the kingdom, and he is the king of the heavenly kingdom. If you seek God first and his kingdom and his presence, he says, all these things will be given unto you. You don't have to lust for it anymore. You just love me and I will bring it to you. He's talking, Paul starts talking. He's like, hey, among you, there there shouldn't be a hint of this stuff. Like, coarse joking. Who has made a crash joke in their life? I have. He's addressing the lifestyle of Christians. He's addressing holiness. He's like, you got, like, we need to be start being set apart. Holiness is being set apart. Don't love as the world loves. Love like God loves. Love, no matter of someone's lifestyle decisions, you are called to love them. It was amazing this week how many people sent me a text, how many people commented on Facebook of just like, happy birthday, happy birthday. And I was just so thankful, and it was an overwhelming love. And I was walking around uh, the grocery store, and as I was walking around, I just felt the love of God just pressed so heavy on me. And he was just like, I wish so many people knew how much I love them. I wish those who felt like outcasts of the church, I wish they knew how much I love them. 
no matter whatever they identify as. I want them to know I love them so much and I have so much love for them that my son died for them because I wanted to spend communion with them. I wanted to spend time with them because once they know how much I love them and they're around me and I'm around them, they can mimic my behavior and they're not mimicking my behavior because I'm twisting their arm, but they just spent so much love and time with me that they don't lust for the things of this world anymore, but they desire the things that I have for them. And God will never force us to love him. That's free will. So the first part uh, we're talking about, this is the, um, we're walking in love. And, and, and guys, I really want to drive this home. We live in a world today, we live in a society where love is being so twisted. I love ice cream. I love this. We, we, we water down love to this thing that we just use flippantly. Oh, I love this. And, Christ, and Paul is telling the church, hey, I want you to love people, right? If you look at verses 1 through 7, he's like, I want you to love people as dearly loved children, love the brethren, love the church because we are the church. I want you to love people, but I don't want you to live like the world. This is what the world looks like and this is the way they live. But guess what? Just because they're living in their flesh doesn't mean you're supposed to throw rocks at them because as dearly loved children, you know what it's like to be over here. You get it. So instead of throwing rocks at them and saying, this is what you shouldn't be doing and, and, you know, and, and coming off as prideful and arrogant, he's like, love them to the Savior. Love them to Jesus. They're going to know that you love Jesus by the way you love them, by the way you treat them, by the way you speak of them, by the way you speak to them. They're going to know that you are dearly loved children because of the Father's love for us. Everyone has seen great parenting at some point or great moments of parenting at some point, either by our own parents you want to know how I know we can identify that? Because sometimes we'll see other parents, I'm like, I wish you would adopt me. Can I be your son? Can I be your daughter? We've all seen moments of great parenting, and then people would come to your parents and be like, can you adopt me? Because they see the love that the, that the parents have for the child. See, the reason why we have such a mix-up in this world is because we're not reflecting the love of the Father, so people aren't going to come and say, hey, can God, can, would God adopt me? I want to be in the family. I see the way he loves you and the way you reflect his love, so like, I, I want that. I want that. But what, what's happening is that in churches, people are seeing Christians and they see us not loving our neighbors. So they're like, I don't want to be adopted by a God like that. If, you, if that. if you're mimicking God and God thinks of me or acts of me that way, I don't want God. Right? Because of our example. Now Paul goes into, now he transitions into verses 8 to 14 where it says to walk in light, walk in love. And now he's saying walk in light. And he starts off by saying in verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. 
Now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's why I said God is light. In 1 John 1, it says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. We must understand that as believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are also light because God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. So the light that is God is now in man. And I love that Paul starts, he says, for you were once darkness. He says, you were once darkness, not you were once in darkness. He says, you were darkness yourself. You were darkness. No, you weren't, like, because sometimes we say you were once in darkness. No, 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 no. That means darkness is, is, is what's around you and you were kind of okay. No, Paul says you were darkness. I was darkness. Not that we existed around it or it was around us. He says you were darkness. You weren't just surrounded by it, but you were it. You were darkness. Because of the sins of Adam, and it has transcended um, every generation, that darkness that was in Adam, that iniquity that was in Adam and Eve, has now transcended, and we were darkness. But he says, it took the blood of Jesus to make us sufficient vessels for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. We are no longer darkness, not by our own strength, not by our own deeds, not by our own actions. We were once darkness, but because of his glorious sacrifice, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus would wash over us, cleaning us and making us, subs making us perfect vessels for this Holy Spirit to dwell in. Now we don't identify with darkness because that's not who we are. All the things that you're like, I'm in No, 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 no. If you said yes to Jesus and you received the Holy Spirit in your life and the Holy Spirit is an active person in your life, you are no longer in darkness. So whoever's watching and they're like, I feel like I'm too sinful to get close to God. You have the Holy Spirit in you, brother. You have the Holy Spirit in you, sister. You don't have to clean yourself up. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. That light is in you. And then what does he say? For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness. The word goodness, it, it, it means to say it not only despises evil, but it refrains from doing that. Write, it, write this down. I wrote a, a couple things for each word. That goodness not only despises evil, but it refrains from doing it. I'm, again, I'm not preaching out here to say, oh, we gotta, like, you're good. you have to be the perfect Christian. No, but when the Spirit dwells in you, it says, I want goodness. So not only do I despise evil, I won't participate in it. There are so many believers who we despise evil, but yet sometimes we participate in it. That means we have to check our heart. We can't despise evil and yet in moments participate and be a part of it. We're children of the light. We're children of love. We're called to be holy, set apart, 
We're God's holy people. See, goodness is conviction with action, right? Conviction with action. That's what goodness is. How many, you know how many times in my life I've been convicted? Anyone ever been convicted in their life, right? They're convicted to the heart, but then what do we do? We don't do any action about it. So how, what's the depth of the conviction at that point? Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. Conviction lets you know, like, hey, you're living below what God has for you. But there are so many of us, sometimes, we get convicted to the heart. We, we mess up, we fall short, and everyone falls short of the glory of God. That's in the Bible. Like, everyone's going to fall short. Everyone's going to mess up. Everyone's not going to live. It says we, but what happens, and this is where I know sometimes when the Holy Spirit, when I'm not listening and he gets really quiet, is that he'll convict me, he'll convict me, he'll convict me, but I won't do anything about it. I'm not going to make any actionable changes. I'm just going to get convicted and say sorry, and then I'm going to move on with my life. That's not a shift in paradigm. That's not a shift in behavior. That's just identifying I did wrong, and I'm going to sit in this, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness, and I'm going to pray, and I want God to change me, but I'm not going to do anything to not do that again. So what do we have? We have a numbing of the heart. We have a callousness of the heart. We have a callousness of the spirit. And then we cry out, Holy Spirit, I can't hear you. Where are you in my life, God? I need your answers. I need you to talk to me. And the Holy Spirit's like, I've been talking to you, but you haven't been doing any actions. How many of us get tired of talking and talking and talking, and then you see no action? Isn't that insanity? Right? Because we know the definition is doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same ill result. That's insanity. Why don't we, as Christians, we don't respond as believers. We need to be better at being sensitive and responding to the conviction and saying, okay, I know I pray and I've repented, but now I have to take my words and put them into action. These words just don't only need to sound to come out of my mouth and enter into the sphere of, 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 of the spaces that I'm in. It needs to become an action. I need to start doing something about it. God, the Holy Spirit didn't convict me just because he wants me to let me know I did something wrong. He wants me to work against it. Goodness is honesty and integrity of the heart. We live in a world that is so tired of Christians being convicted, but there is no action. We have to do something about it. If we've wronged someone, being able to go to them and say, I've wronged you. I have spoken ill of you. I have done these things wrong. Forgive me, and then that's the first part of it. The other half of it is to say, I will no longer do that. I will only speak encouraging things about this person, no matter how I feel. And if I don't have any encouraging things to say, because Lord knows, with some people you're like, I just don't got nothing good to say about you, I will say nothing. 
Goodness doesn't allow conviction to go by the wayside. Goodness says, I did wrong, I was a part of wrong, but you know what? I'm gonna do actionable things to live right, to live holy. Righteousness. Righteousness is a non-conformity to the rules. We do not live righteously to be righteous. Did you hear what I said? I know. We do not live righteously to be righteous. We do not have to earn righteousness. Now, I'm speaking to believers here. We don't have to earn righteousness. We don't have to toil and chase after righteousness. Some of us live in this space where it's just like, I got to live righteous. I got to live righteously. Like, I got to be righteous or else God's not going to love me. If I don't live righteous, God's going to, he's going to hate me. We live righteous because we are righteous. Through the blood of Jesus, through the death and resurrection, we live righteous because we are righteous. So everyone in this room and everyone online, I want to let you know, you don't live righteously to be counted as righteous. You live righteously because the blood of Jesus has made you righteous. And that's a mind change. That's a paradigm change. You live righteous not to earn righteousness. You live righteous because the spirit that dwells in you has said, I am in their life and I make them righteous. The Holy Spirit says, I do that. I've made you righteous. When you said yes to Jesus, when you said yes to his death and resurrection, when you applied your faith to that, I began to live in you. You no longer had to earn righteousness because I already made you that. Do you, there's a whole difference in you. You know there's a whole difference in you when you live and you know you're righteous instead of trying to earn righteousness? You know how many other um, um, religions are out there that are working every day to earn righteousness? And how do I know this? Because I see them in the street. They think if I do these good deeds, I can earn my righteousness. But what a gift of God that we don't have to earn righteousness, that it was freely given to us. And even when we fall short, when we repent and come back to God, he's like, you have been made righteous through the blood of Jesus. You don't have to perform a task. You don't have to do a thousand good deeds. You're not trying to earn up these good deeds in heaven. He's like, I've made you righteous, not by, my, by your own strength, but by my son. So live as righteous. Live as righteous people. And in truth, verse, verse 10, it says, find out. And find out what pleases the Lord. The word find out comes from the word dokimazo, D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O. Which means to put something to the test and examine by scrutinizing discernment. To put something to the test, to examine by scrutinizing with discernment. We are called to examine matters in light of God's word and approve or reject them according to the principle of his word. You hear me? We are called to approve or reject them according to the principles of God's word. And, and you're like, what do you mean by that? We're not called to examine matters in light of our feelings. Because, let's be honest, our feelings will lie to us, right? Feelings are valid, 
but feelings are also liars. Because there have been times in my life, even, even with everyone saying happy birthday to me, my feeling could be like, I feel like no one cares about me. What do you, what do you mean? People are pouring out their love. Like they're saying it. They're, I mean, don't get me wrong. I know Facebook reminded most of them. <laughs> right? But our feelings are valid, but our feelings can lie to us. Our feelings can tell us, I feel like I weigh 400 pounds. I feel like no one's listening to me. I feel like all these things. Your feelings are valid. Like when you, when you feel them, they're there. We know they're valid. But sometimes in certain situations, your feelings can lie to you. So God is, right here, Paul is saying, examine the matters in light of God's word, not by your feelings, not by how you feel. Because I could tell you, even as a pastor, there are certain feelings that I have that are not true. I have to take it back to God's word and read those promises. It's just like, no, no, no. God, you said that you ever, wherever, there's provi- wherever there's vision, there's provision. Okay, God, you said that you would never leave me or forsake me. You said I'm made in the image of the Father. You said I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and that everything I need is in you. So why am I worrying? Not by our feelings. We're, ex- we're called to examine the matters in light of God's word, but in light of God's word, not, and, and just focusing on God's word, not by our feelings and not by what's popular. It's to take all these matters in and say, hmm, what's the popular answer to do this? What's God's answer? What does the scripture say about this? Because sometimes as a society, we're told to trust your feelings. Don't trust your feelings. Well, everyone's doing it. Okay, if everyone's doing it, if everyone was a Christian, why does, why does it seem so difficult, right? Right? Sometimes we, we examine the matter of life like what's a popular opinion? And, I, and, and it's always been a part of my personality. Like I'm always just like, which flow is everyone swimming in? And I try to go the opposite direction. Sometimes that's really good. Sometimes it's really bad. Those who uh, are the same way, I can get your empathy and sympathy. But you always got to examine, okay, what's a popular answer? What does the word of God say about this? We're supposed to weigh everything on the scale. We're supposed to examine the truth and scrutinize the truth and use discernment in the spirit because just because it's popular doesn't mean the Holy Spirit put his stamp on it. There are so many times in myself where I say, well, everyone else is doing it, and then the Holy Spirit goes, well, I didn't call everyone else to the calling that I gave you. Sometimes we get so concerned. That's why, listen, I put out a video this week. There is a joy in minding your business. There is a joy in that. Like the older I get, like before when I was told to mind my business when I was younger, I get so upset. I'm like, I don't want to know. And now I get older, it's like, mind my business. I'm like, cool. I don't even want to know. Matter of fact, the less I know, the better. 
There is a joy in minding your business. There is a, because it's just like, if I don't, if I don't got to know, and that's not me being negligent. It's just me picking and choosing what I will allow my focus to be. The reason why we have so many triggered people is because they're not minding their own business but they're minding the business of their neighbor. They're not taking it and putting it on the scale of God's word and saying, God, I know they said this, or God, I know they're doing this, but you know what? Let me mind my business because I just got to focus on what you're doing in me. Sometimes we, 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 we miss that God is working their testimony out because we're so focused on their business, on this person's business, where God is like, hey, I'm trying to build truth in you. So we're not supposed to examine matters on, in light of our feelings or in light of what's popular or in light of what other people are doing. And sometimes we examine matters in light of society. We do. We can't help it. We got social media. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone's got something to say. And I'm learning in this season that just because you have the opportunity to say something doesn't mean you need to. There have been so many times where I type something out and be like, ooh, I'm going to get them. And I'm like, delete. Is this goodness? Is this righteousness? Is this truth? Is this a good space to talk to this person in? No. Every, we have a society that we, 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 what we, we like, what is it? We bounce things off of each other and we're all imperfect vessels, but yet we want to bounce things off of each other and be like, well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? Well, what do you think? And in any moment, does anyone say, you know what? I don't know what I think, but I need to know what God thinks about this because when I know what God thinks, like I, I'm, I may intentionally or unintentionally offend someone, but this is what my father says about it. This is what my dad says about it. I'm tired, like, I'm tired of just bouncing it off of imperfect vessels, right? Because what we do is we get something we don't know, and then we talk to someone who also doesn't know, and we're just bouncing it back and forth off of, off of broken vessels. And we've just got a, a, a whole world full of little pieces of broken clay trying to figure out what the Creator is trying to say. And God is like, if you would just ask me, If you spent time with me, you wouldn't even have to figure it out. I would just tell you. Right? Because my kids never have to figure out how I feel about them because I'm always spending time with them. They never have to figure it out. But some of us, we, we always are in this place of trying to figure it out. And it's just like, have you? And I, guys, I know I say praying and reading your word, but it's just being in the presence it's just sitting in your room, wherever you are. And it doesn't have to be quiet, but being, allowing the Holy Spirit to say, Holy Spirit, well up in me where I can, I, I just want to sense your presence. Because there are times I've been in crowded rooms, loud rooms, and I would know, and, and, and it's not even like a work church or anything. It'll be in, in, in the public, and I'm like, oh, I feel the presence of God right here. I can sense the presence of God right here. It is on me right now. And then there are times when I'm in a room by myself and I'm like, I feel so far from you. But we're supposed to take the matters of life 
and weigh them in the light of God's word and say, God, what does your truth say about this? Lord, lead me to understand your truth. I'm going to close, Curtis, if you don't mind coming up and praying. We have to understand that light drives out darkness. Light will always drive out darkness. Paul is saying to the church, he says, hey, walk in love. Walk in love. Do you know why so many people hate the church? Is because we didn't walk in love. If we were to strip down everything and say, you know what? I know you live in your own life and hey, hey, you got that free will to do that. I know you got to make your own decisions, but I'm just going to love you. I know we may disagree, but I'm just going to love you. I can't live by the standard you live by because I got a Holy Spirit living in me, but that's not going to make me look down on you in any way. I'm going to love you. And then Paul says, which is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Just know that when you're around me, you're going to get goodness, righteousness, and truth. And this is the third and last thing, verses 15 to 21. He says to walk in love, walk in... um, Walk in love, walk in, uh, sorry, excuse me, I got lost for a second. Walk in light, and then the last thing he says is, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Love, light, and wisdom. Because verse 15, he says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking into one another with psalms and and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing and making your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, not as wise, not as unwise, but wise. You know, there's a difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. There's a difference. The prerequisite to obtaining heavenly wisdom, who here wants heavenly wisdom, right? You want heavenly wisdom. You want to know why you want heavenly wisdom? Because it's everlasting. Earthly wisdom will change with the season, will change with the society. Heavenly wisdom will last forever. It'll transcend even you. And he says, if you you want heavenly wisdom, you need to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life. You want heavenly wisdom? The Holy Spirit must dwell in you. No Holy Spirit, you only have fleshly wisdom. James 3.13 tells us the difference. It says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes from above but is earthly, unspiritual, and even calls it demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest 
of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom from above is pure. It's not tainted by life's worries. It's peaceable. It gives peace to those who have chaos. It's gentle. Some of us have wisdom and we don't even know how to be gentle with it. Like, God, like we have wisdom and it's like hitting, we hit people over the head with a club with how smart we are. It's gentle. It's open to reason. Not saying you're changing your foundations, but it's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial and sincere. There are verses all over the Old Testament and Proverbs that talk about, hey, pursue wisdom. And not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. In one part of Proverbs, it says that wisdom from heaven, uh, he says, choose instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Solomon is saying, wisdom is more precious than what's in your bank account. I once heard this story. I once read this story on Facebook, and I don't think it's true, and maybe it is, or maybe it's just a little proverb or whatever passage. And they were saying that one time that they had this giant, this giant machine mill was broken, right? This, it, and it was like two warehouses long. And they're trying to figure out what's broken, why it's not working, kind of like what we have in here. Um, they're trying to figure out what's broken and what's not working, and they can't figure it out. And so they call this engineer, and he's been in the job for 47 years. And the engineer walks up to this giant machine and he just removes this small little piece. And the entire machine starts working. He just removes this one little piece. And then he tells them, oh, your invoice is $219,000. And they're like, how could it be so big? How is that so much? Why is it so much money? How, why would you charge that much? He's like, oh, replacing the part was $50. But my years of wisdom in this cost so much more. Wisdom is more valuable than money. Wisdom is more valuable than what's in your account, who you know. Because let's be honest, there are some of us with so many opportunities, so many options coming our way. And if we had godly wisdom to discern through it, we're always gonna make the right decision. Even when it looks bad, even when it looks less favorable, we'll always have wisdom from heaven to make the right decision. That's why King Solomon had so much splendor and grandeur. He had all this splendor because he didn't ask God for money. He didn't ask God for territory. He said, God, grant me wisdom to lead such a people. Give me the wisdom. And so God, in all of his grace and mercy, he's like, because you asked wisdom, because you favored wisdom more than territory, more than um, 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 notoriety, more than a good name, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else that's tied with that. You're going to have splendor greater than your father, David. In another part, it says, hold on to wisdom. Do not let it go. 
Guard wisdom because she is your life. When you have wisdom, you have life. We can't be okay with living in foolishness anymore. We have to walk in wisdom. We have to walk in wisdom and operating in wisdom. And then I'm going to end on this and it says, it says, do not get drunk on wine. And that's a whole sermon for a whole other day. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now there's a baptism of the Spirit and there's a filling of the Spirit. Two are separate. Being baptized, the baptism of the Spirit and fillment of the Spirit are separate. Neither are bad, but they're separate. The baptism of the Spirit happens once. It happened in the past. It's for all believers. It's for all believers. It brings union between you and God. You get to identify with Christ when you have the baptism of the Spirit. But the filling of the Spirit's a little bit different. Now, the filling of the Spirit, it's daily. It's present. It, doesn't ha it didn't happen in the past. It can happen in every day. It's for obedient believers who walk in the Spirit. It not only brings, the, the baptism of the Spirit brings union. The filling of the Spirit brings communion. It's common. It's not a one-moment thing. The filling of the Spirit brings fellowship with Christ. Not just identified, not just, ident I can just identify with Christ because there's a lot of Christians who've been baptized um, of, of the Spirit, but now a lot of, not a lot less Christians are actually being filled with the Spirit. The baptism of my Spirit identifies you with Christ. Boom, you are in Christ Jesus. Being filled with the Spirit now brings fellowship with Christ. Now I can be around my Father and begin to mimic and look like Him. We're going to stop right there for today because next week we're going to end this one out and we're going to be talking about what a spirit-filled home looks like. Because God's testament of his grace and mercy. See, God created the church to be the physical representation of Christ on earth. God invested into families to be the physical representation of what heaven's going to be like. Next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, uh, Christian-led households and things like that, of that nature. But does everyone receive that word? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Pioneer Church Podcast. Let's go one step further. Subscribe and share this podcast with family and friends and see how this word changes their life. At Pioneer, we believe in journeying together. If you want to support this ministry, go to pioneerchurch.com give to continue to help us to reach people for Jesus. Thank you again for listening and God bless you.